Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the President of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in the field of laboratory medicine and pathology. Good morning, Bill, how are you? I'm doing well, good morning to you, Bobby. Yeah, so you've had a busy few days dealing with the VALID Act, something that we've talked about many times now in this podcast, but it's really picking up speed. Yeah, I mean, this really is, it's a momentous occasion really for clinical labs. Honestly, my career um, now, it spans to over 25 years in laboratory medicine is probably the most significant impactful event, at least from a legislative or governmental or oversight perspective. Now that the ballot act has been released for public comment, which closed last night, it's become very real that we're mm-hmm. talking about for the first time ever, the actual oversight of clinical laboratories, at least some aspects of them by the FDA, which is a totally different paradigm than CAPLIA for sure. Right. Yeah. So for those that are just joining us now, Valid Act, the Verifying Accurate Leading Edge IVCT Development Act, initially of 2021. Now we have the 2022 version. And this is going to amend the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act to provide regulations specifically for all tests, including laboratory-developed tests. So huge for our laboratory. I forget how many hundreds of lab-developed tests we have at Mayo Clinic, but then we also, this would include all of the modifications that just about every lab in the country does to FDA-approved and cleared assays to meet the needs of their local patient population. So yes. the implications very, are staggering. Could be very far-reaching, right? And just to kind of give people context, because I remember when there was this debate and the changes around analyte-specific reagents, and remember that mm-hmm. what manufacturers could provide to labs, and could we include ASRs? That was back in, and I was first, I was a lab director. I think it was probably in the first two years after I joined the faculty here at Mayo. And that was just like completely foreign to me. It just didn't make sense. And I was just like, you know, it just felt like the answer would just be no, honestly. So to give people context, this is something that really goes back many, many years. It goes back to when Dr. Cockrell was actually in this position. I remember him talking about it with mm-hmm. FDA going forward. The position of FDA has been that they have within their purview the right to regulate laboratory-developed tests to make sure that they're safe and effective for use in clinical practice. That's been their position. They've released, if you look back, we don't have to go through all of it, but they've had a number of draft guidances and position statements and position papers to that effect. That's always been something that's been very concerning because Mm -hmm. the FDA, what they have in place now would be just to regulate lab-developed tests as devices. So you can imagine how expensive and onerous that can be in terms of, they would be no different than getting a machine, like a new analyzer approved by FDA. I mean, to me, the no lab has the capability to do that. So the reason why we're engaged so heavily in the labs is our position back to FDA was that if this is going to happen, it should go through Congress. It should go through a legislative process because that process is designed for all the stakeholders to come together and say, if this is gonna happen, here's a way that it could be a meet the intent if there if it's put into law but b also make it workable 
right? So it's like, that's why for labs and for Mayo and for others is to say really engaged at this juncture because the alternative is just a unilateral FDA stepping in, which would actually be much more difficult because there would be very little opportunity for labs to even help shape what FDA regulation might look like in that setting. So that's number one. It's a game changer for labs, all labs. And that's why we now have to say, well, if the law is the right way to go and, and creating a law, we just have to make darn sure that we're looking at what's in that law to make sure that it makes sense and that it's not going to have anything in it that's going to really make it unworkable for laboratories. And this is a lot of work. It came out last week. It's still an over 200 page piece of legislation. So there's a lot of content, a lot of detail in there. Yeah, thankfully, we have some of our leading organizations, ACLA, uh, that you're a part of, the American Clinical Laboratory Association, and CAP, the College of American Mythologists, that are really analyzing the act, all 200 some odd pages of it, providing detailed feedback. I think that's what we need right now. And these organizations, for any of our listeners that are a part of them, they're going to be asking membership for input. I think that we all really need to be engaged and think about how this is gonna impact our labs. We don't know if it's coming for sure, but the signs look like it is. So I think we need to consider that this could really happen and we have to take this seriously. Definitely have to take it seriously. So there's things in Congress, which are termed must pass legislation. And this is mm-hmm. stuff I've had to learn recently because of my role as the chair of the board for the American Clinical Laboratory Association, working with that team to understand the context. So must pass meaning that it, if a bill doesn't pass, it's gonna cause some f- function of government to not continue or to shut down. And so FDA has a series of must pass legislations that have to happen on a five-year cycle. And this year is, is on that cycle. This legislation, was included with that other must-pass legislation that's gone forward, and it has a, a bigger name, which I can't remember, but there's other elements of FDA reform around cosmetics and also around dietary supplements. So it's a big, big package that's gone forward. Because it's with that, it does have much more defined timeline. Right now, we've already had the first, so the bill was released late last week. Any stakeholder had until Sunday night to provide comments back to the, where this bill is originating, which is in the Senate Health Committee, which is a very powerful committee in the Senate. Health, education, labor, and pension, I think is what that stands for. Mm-hmm. Now it's back. And so the, the term that they now use is, this kind of reminds me of test, but pencils down. So it's been now they've got, they went pencils <laughs> down in legislation. They got the comments. Now the two proponents of the bill, which are, are Senator Murray, the Democrat, who's the chair of that committee, and Senator Burr from North Carolina, who's the ranking Republican on the committee, former chair, they're working on it in a bipartisan way to take all that feedback. And then we'll see the new, whatever they decide to incorporate will be be released a new version of the bill on Wednesday, probably sometime midweek anyways. And then it'll be another round of public comment. So we'll get to see all the feedback that we provided, how much of it's incorporated, and then we'll go from there. So there will be more opportunities and after that, then there's another period where, the, where that committee will look at the bill again, look at the comments after it's released publicly again, and then decide to incorporate those things in what's called markup, and then release it out to the Senate floor for voting. Of course, if it passes, then it still has to go through the House, and then it's through the House Energy and Commerce Committee that would really take that. There's a long road ahead. But there's a lot of momentum behind it because it's bipartisan, because this has been an open issue for so long that there's to stay engaged. If there's a bill that's reasonable, could help for at least provide some clarity for us because we've just been living under this uncertainty 
for a number of years. So yeah, that's where we're at. But I think to, to pay attention to your professional societies, pay attention to CAP, I think is really taking a leadership position on this and just really stay engaged. And I would say to read multiple sources because it, like anything now, so it's something of this magnitude, there's going to be a variety of opinions out there, even amongst organizations and professional societies. It's, it is an interesting time to say the least. Yeah, it definitely is. So May 25th, and depending on when you're listening to this, that might actually have already passed, but that's the next big deadline when the next version is going to be released. But further deadlines coming and still many opportunities to contribute and to add comments. I was just reflecting on this bill this morning. I just happened to ask my lab technologist how many of our lab developed tests we perform each year for tick-borne pathogens, because as you know, I do a lot of work with tick-borne testing. And last year, we did 102,000 tests for PCR just in my laboratory for tick-borne pathogens. And those are using tests that we developed in my laboratory dating back to 2003. So really well-validated, well-vetted, proven tests in my laboratory. And there's four of them in total. But if all four of those have to be submitted to the FDA, well, if they had to be submitted under the current medical device rules, you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I mean, it would, these are essential tests that our physicians rely on. So it would probably shut down testing and that would really have a negative impact for patients. And that's just my laboratory out of all of the different tests we perform in microbiology. Yeah, I mean, that's, and these are the things that have been part of the debate. I mean, yeah. I think from a lab perspective, Look, our ability to innovate is how we help take care of patients, right? Yeah. Our ability to create diagnostics. I mean, no better example than COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Where even within Mayo, we had developed a test in our virology lab within a month. Uh, right. Went from, you know, and that had to be because guess what? That pathogen didn't exist in humans prior to December of 2019, as far as we know. So I think we need to maintain that ability to innovate. We have to recognize that the labs are already heavily regulated. They also already have CLIA. We already have, you know, cap inspections that most laboratories undergo. So we have those things in place already. That's why all the feedback in the bill to make sure that it's not duplicative. Um, But the flip side is, and when people say, well, then why would, why now? I think that there is a, just an elevation in the public consciousness around tests and around what a test that's not accurate could lead to or that's not understood. Um, We've seen a lot of this play out. Of course, there's been a lot of bad actors with COVID, people that have spun up tests. And that's the counterbalance, that if this doesn't happen, that these things will continue. I think that having a legislative solution that takes all those into account, if it's done right, could be a good thing. I mean, ultimately, uh, it is true that when these things happen, they really put a, a black mark on all of us, right? So having something that prevents that would not be a bad thing. Uh, I think back to when I was, uh, gosh, it's hard to believe it's two years ago already, but back when I was in the public domain talking about testing, as we were trying to stand up testing, like for the state of Minnesota, and we had a press conference with the governor. And the first question was, well, what's Mayo doing about all these bad tests? And that was because of the serology test. Remember when the serology, the, the, the self-administered or LFA serology test kind of just got released and there were bad tests. And that's, mm-hmm. we had a story in ABC, I think that you were part of. So I think we do need to strike that balance and hopefully it can be struck. I agree. I think that we support 
at least I'll speak for myself, I support a regulatory framework as long as it's well-defined, well-thought-out, something that won't harm patients, that will help us continue to care for patients. And we've shown that we can do that. We've validated tests in many different ways over the years to meet all the different regulatory bodies that we're overseen by. So I wouldn't mind seeing some really well-thought-out regulatory framework that we could work within. I think it's just the uncertainty right now of not knowing what that's going to be and our concern that it might be too onerous. Again, I think just getting engaged and making sure that everyone's reading the legislation that's been proposed and, and, and providing their feedback. Yep. I think, you know, in short, this is how the democratic process is supposed to work, right? right? Where there's an issue which, which seems to be in the public interest to address. So mm -hmm. it's a complex issue and we're trying to get as much input into a potential legislative solution to make sure that one comes forward. It really does meet the intent of, of addressing the question while also not putting too many roadblocks into the, in the way in terms of just taking care of patients. Mm -hmm. So we need to stay engaged. Well, we need to keep our ear to the ground and we need to keep watching as this comes forward. And we need to be willing, as we've talked about a lot in this podcast, to advocate for our patients and their needs. Yeah, That's absolutely. Well, I think some of our future conversations are going to get into some of the more specifics of some of the digging down into parts of ballot and, and maybe some areas that could still be improved. Yeah, that will be an interesting one to mm -hmm. look at once we start seeing the, the final versions and the, the, the more final versions of the bill and also get a read for how likely this is to pass. But it, honestly, I would just say of all the time I've been hearing about this issue, this is certainly seems like the most likely mm -hmm. that I have experienced that something would happen. So we'll, so we'll see. I agree. Well, I'll look forward to that, Bill. All right. Yeah. yeah. We all, gives us stuff to talk about. There you go. Absolutely. All right. Well, until next time, I'll Hope talk you to you later. later. Have a great week. You too. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.